boy hove what it do baby hello welcome to the regulators podcast i am your host waldo waldy thank you for joining us as always i uh definitely appreciate it and uh, i'm gonna ask you to bear with me just a little bit i have been under the weather the past few days i don't have the covid fortunately knock on wood uh i'm safe all things are well But I just have had a head cold, so my voice may sound a little uh, disturbed, or you might hear the occasional, you know, as I suck back some phlegm into my body. But all of that aside, we got a great show for you this week. Um, As Sublime once said, red lights flashing, time to retire. We are going to talk about things surrounding the NFL that need to be retired. Obviously, Demarius Thomas announced this week that he is uh, going to retire and going to retire a Denver Bronco. Obviously, him retiring this year, Drew Brees retiring, uh, some players that have stepped away from the game. I thought that it would be a good week to talk about some things that might need to be retired surrounding the NFL other than people. But Before we get to that, uh, some news that came out uh, yesterday before we did the show was that Kyle Pitts officially signed his four-year, $32.9 million guaranteed, fully guaranteed contract uh, with the Atlanta Falcons. Now, I want to have a brief discussion about this. Obviously, there's not a lot happening in the offseason, so as a few things come up, we like to talk about them uh, when I feel they're poignant or it kind of relates to something else. So, obviously, as, you know, I was having a conversation with a couple of buddies yesterday, and uh, James Harris, friend of the show, he pointed out quite astutely that most of the details of these rookie contracts are kind of put in place, right? So when a player gets drafted now, unlike when you used to see the Jamarcus Russell ridiculous rookie deals, like make no mistake, Jamarcus Russell is the reason why we don't have rookie deals the way that we used to. But there's a certain structure now to where you are paid a certain amount based on where you are drafted, especially in the first round. Um, And every first round contract is a four-year contract with a fifth-year team option and the terms cannot be renegotiated until at least three years of that contract has played out. And then there's a lot of things that are tied into the financials, so there's very little wiggle room really there for the players to negotiate the way it used to be where players would hold out through camp and they would want all these crazy things or these ridiculous numbers. It doesn't really work like that. Um, The biggest thing we've seen in the past several years that was really delaying things was players trying to get offset language into their contract, which if you don't know what offset language is, it basically allows a player to double dip. Let's say that a player is released at some point in their contract but are still owed money from one team, and then they go to another team, they are able to then get whatever they get from the new team plus the money that is owed to them from uh, the previous team instead of just having that picked up by, you know, the the new team that the player signs with. So 
But anyways, most of the things, like I said, are, are, are pretty kind of set in stone. But at the same time, some of the numbers still kind of, once they actually hit and they hit you and you take a look at them, it's like, wow, you know, it, it definitely can affect something. So I'll give you a perfect example here with this Kyle Pitts thing. Kyle Pitts now has the second most guaranteed money on a contract for a tight end in the NFL. So the only player with more guaranteed money on their contract is George Kittle right now. That's not more guaranteed money left. That means in the total contract. So the total contract of what it was guaranteed for in guaranteed money, only George Kittle has a higher guaranteed uh, amount on his contract. Now, if you want to break down uh, averages per year as far as how much, uh, where that kind of ranks Kyle Pitts, so with his 32.9 guaranteed on a four-year deal, that puts Kyle Pitts as the seventh highest paid tight end in the NFL as far as average money per year. But remember, all of that money for Kyle Pitts is fully guaranteed. So when you start taking away the non-guaranteed money for the rest of those guys and money that probably they will never see, then Pitts starts climbing all the way back up to that number two spot again. So why am I talking about this? What, what relevance does this have? Well, I'll tell you the relevance that it has. Just looking at the completely unrestricted free agents for 2022 at the tight end position. I'm not talking about the restricted free agents. I'm not talking about other situations just in who's slated to be unrestricted free agents uh, in the 2022 season as far as uh, tight ends. You've got Mike Gesicki, Jimmy Graham, Jared Cook, Logan Thomas, Hayden Hurst, uh, Mark Andrews, Mo Alley-Cox, David Njoku, uh, Ingram, and Anthony Ferkser in Tennessee, who now that Jono Smith is gone, he's probably going to have a breakout year this year, and then we'll see how that plays out. Now, granted, all the names that I just mentioned are at a different level of skill, right? But... You look at some of those names at the top. You look at the Mike Gusecki's of the world. You look at Logan Thomas's is coming up fast, and this this kid is good. You look at Jared Cook and, and Jimmy Graham, obviously a little bit older, but obviously still have uh, stuff in the tank. And you look at Hayden Hurst that Atlanta just acquired not that recently. And then you look at Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews is an amazing tight end. So just in these guys alone that are going to kind of set the market going into next season. So you look at, okay, a rookie contract for Kyle Pitts. And granted, I know he was the number four overall pick. But there's a difference when you say, all right, this is what we're paying our number four overall left tackle. And this is what we're paying our number four overall tight end. Which is why you don't see certain positions drafted that high which is why you don't see the running backs being taken top five like they used to because the money is set up in such a way that you look at what you would pay a running back at that spot and you're like okay i'm i'm not gonna pay my running back my rookie running back eight million dollars a year plus or whatever the number comes out to be so i feel this is interesting because the tight end market is about to explode, in my opinion. And you figure everybody wants to get to their second contract because hypothetically, 
That's where your big money should be. That's where your big money should be. Even if you were a fairly high-drafted player, your second contract is where you get paid, right? So if Pitts has $33 million guaranteed day one, fully guaranteed, what do you think a Mike Gesicki is going to ask for? What do you think a Mark Andrews is going to ask for? Those guys are easily, easily looking for 12, 14, like somewhere in that range. Now, granted, I'm not saying fully guaranteed because, again, even Pitts as a rookie, you know, he, he got drafted that high, but he's making 8 mil a year guaranteed, a little bit over 8 mil. But those guys on their second contract would want somewhere in the neighborhood of 10, 11 guaranteed, like those guys who are at that top upper echelon. Um, and then you look at the incentives and stuff built into that. So that's where you can easily see 13 million a year, 14 million a year, possibly more, depending on how incentive laden the contract is and what outs there are and voidable years, stuff like that. But I think that when I saw this, and again, even though we kind of knew it was coming down the pipeline, but just going over the numbers and putting it into perspective, I think Mike Gusecki is as good as gone from the Miami Dolphins. I I'm sorry to the Dolphin fans. I know they're not going to want to hear that. But I think that the money, not only that he's going to ask for, but that the money that he is going to get, somebody is going to give him that money because that is going to be the market for top-tier free agent talent you know if there's a Travis Kelsey a George Kittle a Mark Andrews a Mike Gusecki if one of these guys is hitting the market a Darren Waller type player that's what the market's going to be and remember that market is only going to explode as these new TV deals with the new money comes in and remember I, I keep saying this it's an exact specific percentage of league revenues that goes to league salary each year it's not negotiable it's not like Oh, well, you know, we're not going to spend more money this year because etc. Like COVID was a very outside of the lines exception where they had obviously the huge loss of revenue. But outside of that, all the money that's coming in, it gets divvied up and this amount goes to salary cap and that's what it is. So they have to spend the money. They have to spend it somewhere. And part of that is going to go to tight ends. So if you have... One of these younger guys who's coming into his own and doing well, I would try to get that extension sooner rather than later because I'm telling you, I think the tight end market is about to explode. So obviously, lends more credence to the thought that uh, the Miami Dolphins were looking at an insurance policy when they chose to draft a tight end this year, uh, just in case things don't work out with Gesicki. I'm sure they would love to have him. I don't think the Dolphins want to get rid of Mike in any type of way. But with all the other positions that are going to need to get paid and things like that, um, and Baltimore will be very interesting as well because, you know, they're going to try to get Lamar signed to an extension. There's a lot of pieces there. So it's going to be fascinating to see who sets the tight end market because that, that new deal is coming that's going to set the bar for the tight ends. And I think it's going to be pretty insane. Um, I did see Greg Olson's comments as far as they're being asked to do the job of an offensive lineman and they're being asked to do the job of a wide receiver and then yet being paid, you know, not as well as neither of them. 
I kind of call BS on, on a lot of that because, first of all, there's a very few group of tight ends at the top, a handful of them, that produce at elite levels in any manner, way, shape, or however they play that position. So that's one thing. Number two, no tight end is blocking as well as Laramie Tunsil. No tight end is blocking as well as, you know, some of these offensive linemen. So you may be may be a good blocker. You know, you may do great on the line. And, of course, you have to learn a lot more than what some of the wide receivers have to do and, and things like that. I get that. But to say that you're even at 95%, 90% of where a lineman is, where that's their job and that's that that's all they do, I think it's doing a huge discredit to your offensive lineman. And then on the flip side of that with the wide receiver, as I alluded to, how many tight ends can you say can hold their own as pass catchers the way that, you know, a Travis Kelsey does, the way that a Gronk did over the years, the way that George Kittle does? Like, it's very select company. So I don't think that the group as a whole is being completely diminished for their value. There are some, yes, um, but I think that's about to change. I think this Kyle Pitts deal, and make no mistake, Kyle Pitts is being paid for where he was drafted. If he was drafted at 12 or 13, then he would be getting a completely different rate, but he wasn't. And I think that speaks to the value of what you can do with a player like that. So if you are a player that fits that sort of prototype where not only you know can you learn the blocking assignments and things like that, but they don't have to put you at the end of the line. They can line you up wide. They can do all kinds of crazy things with you. That, I think, is where that steps that value into. You will get paid like an elite pass catcher. I think if your agent's doing their job and the market is there, I don't see why not. But having said all of that, uh, again, the topic for this week's show is things that need to be retired. So I asked for your guys' comments. If you're not following us on Twitter, please do, at RegulatorsPod. We definitely appreciate it. This is where we get some of our greatest ideas for our content. We love to engage with every single one of you guys. So the first suggestion comes from SMD on Twitter. And SMD says that kneeling down the victory formation, whatever you want to call it, uh, that this is something that needs to be retired in the NFL. Basically, tell the ref, listen, we're going to kneel it, just fast forward the clock. So, I'm I'm 99.8% in agreement with uh, SMD here. I think that the victory formation is pretty ridiculous. I think that if you need to do it once, that's fine. But if you have to do it on first down, second down, third down, like you have to go through that and then you're standing around for 40 seconds, at the very least, at the very least, when the QB hikes the ball and immediately takes that knee, you can just run off the next 40 seconds and be like, okay, dead ball, 40 seconds later, go ahead, snap it again. And like, let's let's get this show on the road and get out of here. NFL owners complain all the time that they're worried about slowing down the game, yet you'll take 120 fucking seconds of standing around in the backfield because of this rudimentary procedure that's been around for forever that, well, you have to play out the game, so just kneel the ball, kneel the ball, kneel the ball. Like, that's, that's pretty dumb. And I know that there's going to be people in my mentions that are like, 
well, what about that time in the high school game where the guy swiped the ball away from the quarterback and they got the ball back and they won? Or, you know, what about the quarterback, uh, you know, in the college game? You know, Brandon Whedon, didn't he fumble once on a victory formation? You know, okay, yes, those are like one in a million chances that those happen. And then even more one in a million that the other team ends up winning the game. However, it's something pretty ridiculous that I think we could definitely do without. And like I said, on the, at the very least, you could just dead ball it, skip the 40 seconds, and then let them snap the ball again. You don't need to go through this whole dog and pony show. And at best, you could just say, okay, there's less than a minute left on the clock. It's first down. Like, I'm not going to make you kneel the butt. Like, do you concede? Like, okay, that's it. And go from there. Um, something I would definitely put on the table for uh, being retired in the NFL. So I like it. Thank you, SMD, for the submission. So the next one, as I choke on my snot bubbles here, is from good friend of the show, Hassan Patel. And uh, his suggestion was the discussion on the heights of wide receivers needs to be retired, moratoriumed, just completely done. And I agree. So when you go and you look at statistically who's performing, who's not in the league, and this idea that you needed a prototypical 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", wide receiver. It's just garbage, and it doesn't amount to anything. And as a matter of fact, if you look at uh, over the years since 1992, the average height of a wide receiver has been between 6'0", and 6'1". It's stayed between there since 1992. However, defensive backs since 1988 have been under 6'0". So they used to be much taller, and then they started getting a lot shorter. So defensive backs are still mostly undersized. Obviously, you have those exceptions. Um, but wide receivers being six foot, six foot one is fine. Five eleven, it's fine. And what's interesting is if you actually go look at the efficiency of the shorter receivers versus the higher the the taller pass catchers their efficiency ratings are the exact same and what's really interesting is if you look at wide receivers who are 6'1 or shorter they actually have a higher percentage of coming down with contested balls than wide receivers who are uh, 6'2 or taller so again there's no correlation there's no math there that says, oh, this guy's 6'3", he's going to be a better wide receiver. I get why it seems so in our perception as well. He's got an extra three inches. That has to be an advantage. But no, the advantage is the speed. The advantage is the separation. The advantage is being able to get open. That's what matters in the NFL. And there was even some interesting analysis that PFF had done previously where they looked at the end zone fade in particular, right? Because everyone thinks that that is the perfect uh, play in the end zone. Everyone wants to see your big guy go up and get it on a simple end zone fade, one-on-one, man-on-man, and that's your clutch play, right? And I believed it prior to doing research to this show. I thought that was kind of your best play in your playbook. Unfortunately, I would be wrong. So, the end zone fade is the lowest percentage throw in football from inside the five-yard line. So once you're at the five-yard line and you call up that play, it's the lowest percentage throw you have in your arsenal. And it's also the most frequently called play 
inside the five, but it is completed at a clip of less than 33%, and that's among college, that's among NFL, and even uh, PFF had actually grouped uh, DeAndre Hopkins and the Travis Kelseys and the all the best pass catchers, and they looked at just the, the players that ran that route the most frequently inside the five, and they said, you know, what is their completion rating for that play? Less than 33%. So it's not a positive play. And as a matter of fact, they proved that calling that play inside the five actually lowers your probability of scoring. So we need to get outside of this old school mindset of, you know, wide receiver, uh, pass catcher has to be 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, it's done. Put it in there with hand size and other stupid metrics that people like to drone on about during pro days. I don't care. I'm with Hassam. This is something that we need to retire. I'm game for it. Next suggestion on our list for things that need to be retired comes from Nick Cazero. And Nick says, unnecessary booing needs to be retired. And I like this. I like this because Nick's trying to hold some of the fans accountable. Now listen, I am not anti-booing. Booing is one of the greatest pastimes of attending sporting events. But the unnecessary booing, and I don't know Nick well enough where I feel I can speak for him, but I think I know where his mind's at. So let me give you an example. It's the beginning of the game, the first drive of the game. Your team goes three and out, and you're booing. Shut the fuck up, man. Are you serious? Like, this is how easily you give up? This is how deep your loyalty goes? Like, that? that's how quick you turn to booing? That, that has to stop. Especially when you're booing your own team. Why are you booing your own team in the first drive or the first quarter? Like, they should be like, fuck you. Like, you don't have any loyalty to us. What, what I'm supposed to, like, dance and entertain you? Like, come on, man. Like, oh, I paid so much money for these seats. Well, then don't. Stay your ass at home. Nobody cares. But that's ridiculous. It's like I remember watching Patriots fans boo Tom Brady. When he would throw an interception or do something bad. Do you know what this man has done for not just your organization, but for sports in Boston and the entire city? Like, are you out of your fucking mind? Like, this guy could, like, kill a baby and, like, you shouldn't boo him. Like, this is Tom fucking Brady. Like, if you are from Boston, if you are a Patriots fan, like, how do you boo this fucking man? So, there are certain people, certain situations, certain things that just shouldn't be booed. So, I'm all for booing, but the unnecessary excessive booing that's way too early in the game. Like, you're like that kid who is playing in a game of Madden with their brother and all of a sudden it's the first quarter and you're down by a touchdown or two so you just start Hail Marying on every play. It's 4th and 35 from your own 17. You don't care. Ah, fuck it. Like, just like, how do you give up on life that easily? So, chill it with the unnecessary booing because you know what? You take away the power of the booing when you don't use it properly. Booing should be used towards the alternative team most of the time. And it should be used towards, you know, your own team if there's a really bad situation. Like, let's say, for example, your team is kind of trying to make the playoffs, trying to prove they belong, and it's fourth and inches, 
and you're kind of right in that range where you can't go for a field goal or you can't really, you know, do you punt it, do you go for it, and they send out the punting team, that might deserve a boo, especially if they don't fake it and they actually just punt it. Like, then I, I could understand a boo. That's, that, that's a warranted boo. That's not unnecessary. But some of the unnecessary booing, I'm going to side with Nick, needs to be retired. Now, our next entry comes from Chaz. Mr. Blackwell is a a, a, a continuous uh, contributor to the show, and we appreciate him uh, more than he will ever know. But uh, he has one that says, intentional grounding. He says, I should be able to throw the ball away wherever and whenever I like. Um, You know, intentional grounding should be retired. It's a dumb rule. Now, Chaz and I speak every week, and every single week he has these nuggets for me that I'm like, wow, I didn't think about that, or oh, this is a really great point, or you know, wow, like that's just, that's genius. This is the exact opposite of all of those things. I don't know what he thinks, but just imagine, you know, the uh, Patrick Mahomes sack last year that was like a 52-yard sack by Jerome Baker. Like imagine if he got back there and just went, and threw it down into the dirt and it's like no oh well I guess it's just an incomplete pass like you can't have that and I think that while I understand the principle behind what he's trying to say here's my thing most quarterbacks are smart enough that when they feel that pressure they have a strong enough arm that they can get it back to the line of scrimmage you know, maybe out of bounds somewhere, maybe where it's not in danger. You see quarterbacks do it all the time. But then you see a lot of these quarterbacks that they just, they don't know how to throw it away. And they can be running for their lives nine yards behind the line of scrimmage, but they have enough angle where they can get their arm wound up and just spin it out of bounds. But they don't because they're trying to keep the play alive. They're trying to, you know, hope they'll just dodge enough people and then make it work. Uh, Russell Wilson has been plagued with this for a lot of his career where he had ridiculous sack yardage numbers because he was just always running around trying to make people dodge, you know, in the hopes that it would eventually, he'd make somebody miss and he'd make something miraculous happen. And he did a lot of times. He did do that. But unfortunately, he also put his team in a lot of bad situations where they took a lot of minus yardage plays. So I think that if you know you're about to get sacked and you have the ability, you know, there's not always every time you know there's blindside hits and all kinds of things but if you're in a situation where you know you can get rid of the ball where you're aware enough and able enough to just throw it into the ground then at least half of that time you should be able to just throw it out of bounds but past the line of scrimmage to where it just counts as an incomplete pass but this idea that you should just be able to throw it at anybody's feet i think is a little nonsense and i'd like Chaz to come back to the table with some better arguments so I have some other ones uh, from myself and through my research this week that uh, I would like to bring up. And uh, one of them is the fumble out of the end zone rule. Now, this is something we have talked about before on this show that, to me, still blows my fucking mind. So, if you are in the field of play and you are the offense and you're running with the ball, ball pops out and it goes out of bounds, it goes back to the point of the fumble, offense retains the ball anywhere on the field so I can be running at the 10 yard line the 30 yard line the 50 yard line doesn't matter where I am 
Ball pops out, goes out of bounds, it goes back to me, and I keep moving on. Except if I fumble that ball one inch into the end zone, and then it goes out of bounds, then that ball is given to the other team as a touchback, and they're off face going the other way. Now, this to me is the most ridiculous rule that currently stands in the NFL. It needs to be retired. I don't think I need to even speak for 20 minutes about how stupid this rule is that if I fumble the ball at the 8-yard line and it goes out at the 1, I get the ball back and I'm still trying to score. If I fumble the ball at the 8-yard line and it goes out 1 inch into the end zone, the other team gets it and they're going the other way. Why? The team had an opportunity on defense to possess the ball while it was live in the field of play. They did not secure it. So what are they getting rewarded for that they did any differently than if that ball went out of bounds one inch before getting into the end zone? It's the dumbest fucking rule that currently stands right now, and they need to retire that shit. Moving on to the next one. Here's another thing that we could uh, definitely broach some of the fans uh, as Nick alluded to earlier about some things that should need to be retired by the fans. And this is the one that, God, if it shouldn't be retired just for the lack of unoriginality, is every time I'm on social media and I see a sports fan saying, stick to football, whenever they're commenting under a sports player uh, or a sports reporter or anybody who says something that has nothing to do with football. You know, maybe it's, you know, a TV show, maybe it's political, maybe it's coronavirus, maybe it's whatever. You know, all they say is stick to football. Okay, that's fine, Jerry. We'll stick to football as soon as you stick to accounting or teaching or running the kiosk at the fucking mall, whatever you do for a living. You know, I don't, I, I don't go on your social media page and say, hey, you stick to the cafeteria line that you run at the hospital. All I want to hear about, what are the specials today? That's it. I don't want to hear anything else about what your profession is. Like, that's it. Just just your professional opinions. That's it. Like, you cannot go on another person's social media page and expect them to only talk about, A, the things that you want them to talk about, and B, for them to only be related to their job. Like, imagine working all day. Imagine, you know, you're a lawyer, and you've been handling these cases all day and you get home and you go on and you're like oh man I'm looking forward to watching the Yankees game you know tonight and uh, Alex Rodriguez gets on your page and says hey why don't you stick to the law firm okay buddy stick to the court cases all right nobody wants to hear about it like like that's how asinine you fucking sound when you say stick to football or stick to basketball or etc 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 all you're really saying is I don't like your opinion, and I don't want to see it. Well, then just fucking mute that person or don't follow them. Like they, they're they're their own person. Like like you just sound like an asshole. And and because the only thing worse than an asshole is a hypocrite. And so again, if you're not sticking to professional advice on on everything you do, then you're you're a hypocrite. So you just just stop with that shit. But let's move on from that. Now, here's one that I did get from Mr. Blackwell today that actually was a good nugget. And this one I like. So, we see the referees always go to their replay booth, right? We come in and, all right, you know, 
coach uh, coaches challenge the play. So we're going to go ahead and the play's under review. They show him jogging off at four miles an hour over there to that Microsoft Surface sponsored little booth there and he's looking in and hoping there's no glare on the screen and he's trying to figure out what's going on why are we fucking doing this other than the fact that microsoft is obviously paying for this this is the only reason i can imagine that this still fucking exists because the xfl for as short-lived as they were showed you bring eye in the sky back it's it's easy it's done because all you have to do is buzz the referee when a when a call gets challenged you say yep we've got it up here in the booth already no it was an incomplete pass spot the ball on here blah 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 again nfl owners talk all the time about slowing down the fucking game do you really care then put eye in the sky back i'm not saying you take the refs off the field they gotta call the penalties live as they see them and manage the game and everything but this idea that this geriatric has to fucking jog over to the fucking screen and let's let's pretend that he passed his last driving test right and his eyesight is all up to date and he's looking in at this tablet you know inside this little booth so there's no glare on it and watching what they're sending him and what angles they're showing him and stuff like why is this a thing you could have three guys sitting in a production room in a super slow-mo giant screens with all the bells and whistles you've got three people there two out of the three of them gotta agree you know or just one what like again you could have one most of us most of us at home could do a better job than half of these fucking guys and i don't mean to discredit the refs there's a lot of good ones out there and they put years and years into training to get to where they are and maybe that's a problem it took them 40 years to get to the fucking pros and now they're 97 and you know maybe they don't even remember where they parked their fucking car but my point is it's really asinine that in 2021 that with all the technology we have did this guy's got to jog over to this little Microsoft Surface fucking booth? Look in and fucking wait. Let me watch it again. Uh, let me listen on the heads. All, all he needs is his fucking earpiece that he has already that he gets information from and just, okay, where's the ball go? Boom. Got it. Moving on. That's it. And that's how we do it. Like, I, I get that there's a little bit of extra drama in the, oh, you know, plays under review. What's he going to do? But you can still say, okay, coach is challenged plays under review you sit there and you listen for a second okay here it is here's the answer like i i I just i hate it it's 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 almost you know i talk about the the football chain and i i won't get sidetracked on on this whole thing but you know technology 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 it's all there why aren't you using it this is really dipshit stuff so the replay booth needs to fucking go put eye in the sky there retire the current replay system in the the way that it functions it's out it's got to go all right next thing i have that needs to be retired draft day tragedies like they were a little bit better at it this year during the nfl although i will admit we were doing the live show so i had the entire thing on mute in the hotel room Uh, where we were broadcasting, so I didn't hear a lot of it. But I didn't see as many torn pictures from the 1980s of somebody outside of a crack house, uh, so it didn't look as bad. But typically, every draft, 
every single player came from a bad neighborhood or was raised by their grandma or their aunt or whatever like listen we all got problems so does every single person who's ever applied for american idol america's got talent or any of those fucking shows like do they even care if you have musical talent or is it just kind of like wait did anybody die in your family at a young age? Did you have a twin brother get, like, snatched in the middle of the night? Or, you know, did did your mom drown in front of you? Oh, yeah, that we want to put you on the show. Like, fuck off with that stuff. Like, drafts should be about the draft stuff. And, like, great, some people had some incredible journeys. Like, that's awesome. But don't don't drag me down, man. I'm, I'm trying to be in a good mood. I'm trying to be happy for these young men that are about to change their lives and stuff like that. And, you know, you can make breezing by references to you know their their journey and stuff like that but i mean god don't drag me through that shit for hours and hours on draft night about how horrible all of their fucking lives were like jesus move on so that shit should be retired next one that i have is super variable stats need to be retired what is a super variable stat you might ask well here's an example well, Todd, uh, we went back and we looked at the stats, and it appears that among all quarterbacks who went to Columbus Middle School between the ages of 1990, the years of 1990 and 94, and who were also left-handed and were born on a Tuesday, he has the most completions ever. That's fucking retarded. I don't want to see those stats. I don't want to see stats that are like, well, among linebackers that typically line up outside between the years of 2013 on, he has the most sacks when rushing the quarterback late in the game when down by seven points or fewer. These are dumb fucking stats. Like, you're trying to tell the story that you want to tell. You get two variables. That's it. You can say, since 2010, no quarterback has scored more points that's it. You can say, uh, in franchise history, he has the most yards among running backs. That's it. You can say that. You can say, in the NFL, he has the third highest catch rating ever. That's good. But miss me with these fucking seven-step bullshit of among kids who saw Jaws, you know, opening season opening weekend when it debuted and then met a woman named Marilyn and had a kid who 20 years later went to Lincoln High and then went to this college and like fuck off man like like these stats are just ridiculous so stop with the multiple qualifiers you get two you get two variables that's it you're done retire the super variable stats now the next one that I have is uh this one's this one's one that I've been thinking about a lot and I think it's time. I I think it's just time and I feel most people will be in agreement with this. The final thing that we really need to retire surrounding the NFL is the Pro Bowl. It's done. It's not a thing anymore. Nobody cares. Nobody's cared for a long time. Now, listen, you might be saying, but hey, I like the skills challenge. I like some of these other things they do Pro Bowl weekend. I'm all for that. I'm all for all of that. You want to have an event culminating the end of the season? That would be a perfect type environment to do your uh, 
player of the year awards, your comeback player of the year, your defensive player of the year, your rookie awards, like that would be a great ceremony to do it. And you do the skills challenges, which are a lot of fun. And you can have other type of situations. And maybe even you do something where it's like divisions, right? So you've got the AFC East, the NFC East, the AFC South, etc. And each division is made up of, obviously, players from that division. And they go through the skills challenges and the different games and stuff. And then the final team, after you do like a bracket challenge, going through these little drills and all the different things, the final thing is a flag football game or something where it's, you know, that division, you know, however many players they have versus the other division who is, you know, at the top of the bracket and they have a flag football game and maybe they get to draft in some celebrities or something else like that and you just have fun with it and you make it an entertainment thing. But this idea that the product that you're putting on as a Pro Bowl and trying to convince us that it is football, it is fucking not football. And the main reason for that is nobody wants to get hurt. Nobody, especially going into a contract year, is going to risk any kind of serious injury out there at the Pro Bowl for what? Like, you've got the players. They used to have it before the Super Bowl in that week before the Super Bowl. And then you never had the players who were uh, playing in the Super Bowl obviously show up because they're not going to risk injury. So they thought by moving it that all of a sudden those players would either want to go after they lost the Super Bowl, which those guys don't want to be anywhere near a football field, or they would win the Super Bowl and then want to go to the pro. They don't want to go. And even the guys who aren't in the Super Bowl, a lot of them don't want to go. They don't want to play. It's not a great risk-reward system for them. But the skills challenges, the things like that, where nobody's in pads, nobody's doing any kind of you know, real extreme things, I, I get that anything can still happen, but it's much more realistic and you're representing it as an entertainment value instead of saying, this is football. This is the Pro Bowl game with the best of the best in the game as voted by their peers and blah, 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 blah. shut the fuck up. It's a popularity contest. We all know what it is because every year players get screwed. There are players who outperformed by a mile, by a mile players who got voted into the Pro Bowl. But you know what? It's a popularity contest. And it's not just even a popularity contest as far as the fan votes that are weighted in with the player votes and stuff like that. But even the players, again, we've talked about this on the show. If I'm in the NFC East and I play against, you know, Washington and Philly and the Cowboys and I, I know people that are near me and I'm in the New York media market, how do I know the left tackle or the tight end in Arizona? How do I know you know, the safety that plays for this other team, then uh, it's just, you're not exposed to it. It's a popularity contest. It's really, really dumb. So as far as the whole, who even gets on the Pro Bowl roster, fine. Make up your make up your stupid roster, and here's, here's our all-pro team. You know, much the same way that the newspapers release their all-pro list. You know, that's fine. But this idea that, no, we have to have, like, the elites play against the elites from the other conference and blah, blah, blah. Like, no, that's what the Super Bowl is. That's literally why we have a Super Bowl. You want the best players from the AFC playing the best players against the NFC? That's called the fucking Super Bowl. And we have one of those. So miss me with your fucking boomer generation, 
bullshit that we're clinging on to because like no it means something like no it really doesn't and that doesn't mean we can't have pro bowl festivities that doesn't mean that we can't make something exciting but you know let's think outside of the box let's think about how we can incorporate fans and make it hell you could monetize the shit out of it you could have it somewhere like las vegas you could book out everything and have a strip the same way they do super bowl week you could have fan interactions and all kinds of things like you could really do some great things with it But the Pro Bowl as it sits right now needs to be retired. And that's our time for this week. Thank you, everyone. I love all the messages that I've been getting for you guys on Twitter. Um, We're just hitting 5K followers on Twitter, but the downloads keep coming in the thousands on the podcast. And we appreciate every single one of you guys, everyone who's leaving these five-star reviews on Apple and who's sharing it. You may think it doesn't make a difference just sharing it with one friend or one person, but it does. You have no idea how much it does, and we can't wait to do some more giveaways, so we'll have some information for you guys on that soon with our next giveaway. But for myself, for all the regulators around the world that I know are out there listening to us, fuck the clickbait, stay out of trouble, and we'll catch you in the Twitter streets. Peace. Peace.